got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's probably one in front of you, but feel free to use your phone or electronic device. And if you are, download the ESV app. That's what we use is the ESV, English Standard Version. We are, we're talking about uh, this, this good news in four letters, and we're in the book of Ephesians, four of the epistles written by the Apostle Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians, uh, and, uh, what is it, Galatians, Ephesians, what have we studied so far, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, that's the one we're going to get to at the end of the year. And what we're understanding is this good news, and, and everyone believes in something they say is good news, that's your gospel. The gospel you believe determines the life that you live. Whatever you think is true, whatever you think is right, that's going to determine your thoughts and affections, which will determine your activities. Now, the Bible teaches that that the gospel is the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin so that we get peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. This is the uniqueness of the gospel of God. This is the power of the gospel of God. And as we're studying the book of Ephesians and we're talking about the revelation of this good news, we're, we're understanding that, the, that this gospel, this good news of God allows believers and only believers. So if you're not a believer, if you've never repented and believed the gospel, you need to understand you can, you can have the vocabulary, you can read the words, but you can't know the truth. See, the, the good news of God allows believers to know the plans and desires that God has revealed for his people. Again, anyone can read the Bible, but, but not everyone can experience it and know it is true. This God, this God of the Bible reveals himself. And, and this God of the Bible is sovereign. That means he works all things according to his plan and purpose. This God of the Bible is redeeming. That means he saves the people for himself through sacrificial love. This God of the Bible is involved. He guides his people by his word, his presence, and his power. Now, what you'll see, and uh, hopefully you're there in Ephesians chapter 1, what you'll notice uh, in, in verses 3 and following through our verse today, verse 14, that is, that's a lot of words. It's as many words as are in the Gettysburg Address, but that's one sentence in, in, the, in the actual original Greek. And, and I, here's what I want you to show you real quick. What we see in, in the, this long sentence is, is God in his triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God of the Bible is triune. He's a trinity. And so what you see, look in verses three through six. This is a description of God the Father. Look in verses seven through 12. This is the revelation of God the Son. Now today, we're gonna finish this majestic sentence by understanding the revelation of God the Spirit. Now in doing this, I want to remind you of something that's happening three weeks from today. Three weeks from today is Pentecost, Penta, 50. It's a celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit that occurred 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come. This is John 14, beginning in verse 26. But the helper, which is such a beautiful name of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This is tough. It's a command. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Sounds beautiful. It's it's easier said than done, isn't it? But here's what we can know. Even though we live in this dark, troubled time, and, and again, let's acknowledge, this is a time when there is moral confusion. What is evil is called good. And what is good is called evil. People are doing what is sinful and being celebrated for it. 
It's a, more, it's a time of moral confusion. It's a time of organizational cor- corruption. People in power destroying structures that hold a society together. The redefinition of marriage, the replacing of the family with government systems, and the rejection of truth and science. All of this is leading to unbridled evil. Not only is there moral confusion and organized corruption, there's emotional chaos. Without clarity instruction and structure, people are being unhinged and overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, statistically speaking, we are being told that there are not enough physicians or mental health professionals to care for those who are overwhelmed with this broken world. But we who are in Christ, we who have been filled with the hope, we can let our hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. How? Well, because despite all that is going wrong in the world, as God's people, we have the capacity to live healthy lives, to have healthy families, to have healthy relationships that lead to spiritual, mental, and emotional health, that produce strong children, strong marriages, strong families, strong communities of faith. But it's only made possible by the help of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And and that is who we are going to study this morning. Today, we will see God the Spirit revealed And we're going to gain insight into what he gives that produces healthy, God-honoring lives, marriages, families, churches. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, you should be in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Let's focus now on verses 13 through 14. Let's stand together as Anna comes to read our text for us. Again, we're in first, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. Anna, read for us verse 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Anne. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. The God of the Bible is not like the so-called gods made up by human beings. We live in a culture of made-up gods. The God of the Bible, he accomplishes his purpose. He saves his people. He guides us through life as we trust in him. There are many made-up gods in our westernized world, uh, one of which uh, was particularly celebrated uh, in a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And in it, he speaks of this God that he made up. Now, I'm going to read a statement from that book. And and then I'm going to show you why it's false. Now, here's what I want you to know. As you're listening it, there are going to be parts of this that are going to seemingly ring true to your flesh. But then I'm going to show you the lies. I'm just going to read it. Just listen. I believe in God. But I do not believe the same things about him that I did years ago when I was growing up or when I was a theological student. I recognize his limitations. He is limited in what he can do by the laws of nature and by the evolution of human nature and human moral freedom. The painful things that happen to us are not punishments for our misbehavior, nor are they in any way part of some grand design on God's part. Because the tragedy is not God's will. We need not feel hurt or betrayed by God when tragedy strikes. We can turn to him for help in overcoming it, precisely because we can tell ourselves that God is as outraged by it as we are. All right, 
There's a lot of things that ring true in that, doesn't Doesn't that sound pretty? There's three lies I want to show to you that I've highlighted. Now, let's look at this together. He writes, I believe in God. That, doesn't that sound just so fundamentally American and wonderful? I believe in God. I pledge allegiance to God. I believe in God, but I do not believe the same things about him that I did years ago when I was growing up or when I was a theological student. First lie, I recognize his limitations. He is limited in what he can do. That is a lie. God is not limited. Nothing can stop God. God is so sovereign that we can have the freedom of choice and responsibility for our decisions. God is not limited by laws of nature and by the evolution of human nature and human moral freedom. He goes on and again trying to protect God. The painful things that happen to us are are not punishment for our misbehavior, nor are they in any way part of some grand design on God's part. That is a lie. God is sovereign over things and he has a perfect plan that is being revealed, has been revealed in his word and will be accomplished. We know the Bible is one story in four parts, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. There is a design, there is a plan, there is a story. It is going to be unveiled. It has been unveiled. This is a part of a grand design. This is the will of God. He writes on. Because the tragedy is not God's will, we need not feel hurt or betrayed by God when tragedy strikes. We can turn to him for help in overcoming it precisely because we can tell ourselves that God is as outraged by it as we are. God is morally superior to every one of us. We are all flawed by sin. He is not. He is holy. Oh, that we could have the moral compass of God. Oh, that we would be outraged by sin the way God is. But we are not. This God of Kushner's is a sissy God. Our God is a mighty God. This God that Kushner made up and that many believe, many believe in three things. Cannot save us. Cannot change us cannot bring about the world that God promises in the Bible. The God of the Bible does save us. The Bible, the God of the Bible does change us. The God of the Bible shall bring about his blessings in the world to come and in this world now. And that's where I want to focus today. How God is at work in the world now, today, how this God of the Bible gives us great hope and how our text today reveals to us four things that the spirit gives that enables us to be a people who are thriving. Thriving personally, thriving in our relationships, thriving in our marriages, thriving in our families, thriving in our vocations, thriving as a church family. Four things, write down the first one, it is this. God the Spirit is revealed as the one who gives the word of truth. The word of truth. Look with me in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard, we're going to come back to that word heard in just a moment. Right now, focus on the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Please understand, we live in a world not not controlled, not not completely in authority, but a, a world that is under the evil one. This is 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Friends, we must 
as believers, as those who have been set free and made alive by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, discern what is true. We live in a world led by a scammer. How did this scammer come to power? Well, we were given authority in creation, but we submitted to his lie and we gave him authority. So now the evil one is free to lie to us. And many are believing these lies. We live in a world filled with lies. I had a friend of mine was, was hanging out with a couple of guys and one of the guys got a phone call. And on the other line, the voice said, Dad, it's your son. I know I sound different. I've got a broken nose. I've been arrested. I only have one minute. I'm about to give you for information. I need you to do this for me quickly. He then gave him information about an attorney for him to call and uh, money that would have to be sent in order for him to be released from jail. The father called this number on the, on the other, the, the, the receiver of the call said, this is attorney so-and-so. Here is the situation your son is in. Here are the statutes that have been broken. Here's what's now going to happen. Here's the money that you will need to send in order for us to get him out of jail. Well, this man went in a panic as any father would. He called his wife and, and gave her the information, said, you're gonna to need to wire this information. Our son's in jail, we need to get him out. I am getting a plane ticket. I am on my way to get him. He began to get clothes together. They were making calls. They got a plane ticket. He's heading that way. Meanwhile, his wife is getting to their financial institution so that she could send this money. And just as she was about to send the money, she gets a text from her son who said, hey mom, thanks for everything this morning. Now, doesn't that sound like a weird text from a, someone whose nose has been broken and is in jail? And she immediately texts back, where are you? What happened? He immediately responds, what are you talking about? What's going on? She calls him. He wasn't in jail. This was a scam. Thankfully, they caught the scammer before they, they bought too far into the lie. Friends, in a world with artificial intelligence, your voice and your likeness can be copied. Your loved ones can be deceived. And so it is in this entire world. There are those who will claim to love us and care about us who are lying to us. And we must be able to discern the truth from the lies. We've got to be able to hold on to what we know is right and what is best. We cannot believe in this so-called God that Kushner pushes and that many in Western society hold to. Thankfully, we have the source of truth. We have the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. And what's it do? Well, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And not only do we have that externally available to us to access it, but we have the spirit of God in us enabling us to know the truth, to obey the truth, to discern the truth. This is John 16.13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. How does he do that? He does that in as, in as much as we know the truth. Friends, if you are not daily studying the word of God, I'm not talking about a devotion. I'm not talking about listening to a sermon. I'm not talking about reading the words of another people, what they say about God's word. If you yourself are not reading God's word, it is no wonder that you would be deceived. If you are not daily feasting on the word of God yourself, 
with a steady plan and then praying about what God has said. It's a conversation. God speaks first and then we speak to God about what he has said to us through his word. We are to daily, not just on Sunday. And again, not, not just in, in podcasts and other great resources and songs. We must be in the word of God ourselves. We must pray the word of God. And then we must gather with the saints and we must encourage one another with a singing of songs and a praise as we have this morning. But then you need to be in small groups, men with men, women with women, connect groups where you're discussing what the word of God says, what the word of God teaches for accountability. Friends, without this, you are going to be blown and tossed about by this world because you will not be able to discern the difference between this weak, silly, nonsensical God of Kushner and the God of the Bible. We have the word of God, the word of truth. It, it, he has given it to us. Second, God the Spirit is revealed as the one who gives the life of belief. The life of belief. I'm going to lay down some important doctrine for you right now. This, this life of belief comes about by the Spirit of God. If you will, back to verse 13. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. I underlined that in my Bible. Heard, believed. I'm going to say something. It's not profound. It, it, it's, it's basic, but it's important. The only way we can believe is by hearing what to believe. The only way any of us can believe is by hearing what to believe. This is John 10, 17. Again, this is not rocket science. Very simple, obvious truth. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, we are all born with a broken relationship with God because of our sin nature. We are all natural born sinners. We don't have to be taught to sin. We do that naturally. And because of our relationship being broken with God, we, we cannot hear what God says. Doesn't mean you can't read. It means you can't get it. Jesus said this would happen. This is John, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. The only way any of us can hear and believe is by being born again. Jesus describes this in John chapter three in a discussion with Nicodemus. The summation of that conversation is found here in Titus chapter three, verses five and six. It says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, two very important words here. By the washing of regeneration. Regeneration. To generate something is, is to make something alive. To regenerate is to make something alive again. We're all born and we have a physical life that is, that is given to us in the image of God. But because of our sin, we're dead to God. So there must be a regeneration, a new life. Again, regeneration and look at the other word here, renewal. Regeneration and renewal, renew, make new again of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit makes us alive so that we can believe. Until we're made alive by the Holy Spirit, our sin does not convict us. 
Listen, I went to church for months trying to get a date with Miss Carrie, and I was unbothered. I was unfazed. But suddenly, something happened, and I began to feel great conviction and guilt for my sin, something I'd never felt before. Could care less. What happened? The Spirit of God gave me life, and that life led to me understanding the truth, and that truth brought conviction and made me spiritually alive so that 1 Corinthians 2.12 became true of me. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, those who are born again. The natural person, that is the person who is still dead in their sin, the person who is still in that broken relationship they were born on this planet with, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him, as it was to me, as it was to many, as to all. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Friends, please understand, if you've not repented and believed the gospel, you're dead in your trespasses. You are dead to God. Your relationship with God is broken. And the things that he has to say to you, you cannot and will not hear because they are nonsense to you. You do not want this truth. You don't care for this truth. But if you will repent, if you will be born again, if you will accept this grace, you'll be saved and you'll be changed and you will be able to hear and you will be able to pursue. You say, well, how do I do this? Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 9. You know this one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, say it with me, you will be. And when you are saved, you're made alive. And having been made alive, you can hear. You can discern what is spiritually true. You will not be scammed by the evil one. And you will receive all kinds of, of extraordinary abilities. One of which is the third thing to write down and remember. God the Spirit is revealed as the one who gives the seal of salvation. The seal of salvation. Again, back to verse 13. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, the sealing of which Paul speaks refers to an official mark or of identification placed on a letter, contract, or document. This was used in, in that time and day. You'll see a seal as a, as a part of the artwork on the building for the series. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so that document was thereby officially under the authority of the person whose stamp was on the seal. So the Holy Spirit seals us. What does that mean? That means that we belong to God. And he lives in us. This is John 14, 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. When a letter is sealed, the name on the seal reveals ownership. Because we belong to Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is alive in us as we live in him. The spirit of God who's given us that life begins to produce the characteristics of that spirit. You know this one, Galatians 5.22. What is the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, against such things there is no law. So when we are in Christ, and we are living out what it means to belong to him, there's a transformation of our character as the truth of God begins to make its way as a reality from which we exist. And existing in that allows us to happily live under the authority 
of God. Happily. It says in Ezekiel 36, 27. It says that I will put my spirit within you and cause you. Now notice that. Cause. Not ask you if you'd be interested. Not, not every now and then see if you got time on Sunday. No, no, no. Cause you to walk in my statute and to be careful to obey my rules. See, when we're sealed in the spirit, you know what we, what, what, what's different? We want to obey God. We want him to be in our life. You know, I, I, whenever I do weddings, typically there's a knucklehead at the rehearsal dinner who says something nonsensical to the groom like, hey, buddy, come on. It's not too late. Let's get out of here before, before you got to put on the old ball and chain. And typically I want to say, hey, loser, why don't you shut up and go do something with your life? It's too bad you can't get married. Yeah, I don't say that, but I want to with, with the love of Jesus in my heart. Because what I want to say is you don't get it. This is not something he has to do. This is something he gets to do. This is now a blessing in his life. Ecclesiastes 4.9. What does this say? Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. This is the, this is the mystery uh, of the miracle of marriage. One plus one equals one. Two paths become one. This is the beauty and, and the miracle of marriage. And it's the beauty and the miracle of salvation. That we are no longer on our own. God is alive in us. We still have our being, but he is alive in us. And now he is guiding us. And he's making our lives exceptionally far more richer and fuller. And we're empowered to walk in his way to the delight of our heart. Not only does he seal us, but he also makes sure that we receive all that he has promised. This is the fourth thing to write down and remember. God the Spirit is revealed as the one who gives the guarantee of God. The guarantee of God. This is verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This word guarantee, I geeked out on this word this week. I won't give you everything I studied on it, but man, this is something. Look what this word is. This word guarantee is arabon, is actually the Hebrew word arabon. And it, it, it is a pledge of security, earnest money, a pledge, something which stands for part of the price and paid beforehand to confirm the transaction. So this word is actually a th over a thousand years old by the time the apostle Paul is using it. And again, it is a Hebrew word, but it was a word that was understood and used by everyone of many different languages. When I first read this, I thought that probably the apostle, I don't know if you've ever uh, been with uh, bilingual people, when they're speaking, sometimes they can't think of the right English word. And so they just give you the word from their language. And I just, I just envisioned the, uh, the apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's bragging about this. He goes, they a bone, you know, the guarantee. And some little Jewish kid, everybody's going, what does that mean? And he's going, it, it's, it's the promise. It's it's, it's, the, it's the down payment, you know? I don't know if all that happened, but, you know, us geeks, we think, right? But, but what, what, what this means is, is that the Holy Spirit is, is God's first installment. It's the guarantee that he's, he's, going to, he's going to make sure that we get our inheritance. And how awesome is this? He doesn't just give us a few thousand dollars. He doesn't give us a few trillion dollars. Some of you who bought a house, you know what this earnest money is. You know, you're giving money saying, we're going to keep the contract. And if we don't, you get to keep our money. What did God give us? Not money. He gave us the spirit of God. The spirit of God lives in us. 
holds us, guarantees this inheritance. What is this inheritance? This is 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Again, this great theology I keep pressing you to believe. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, our namesake verse, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Now, what's so special about this inheritance? Look at it. That is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded, being guarded. We are being protected through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded, which is good and bad. Let me talk to you about it. When I was in India years ago, we were traveling from where we'd been serving back to Delhi, and it was a, it was a train ride overnight. And, and I, I got up to go to the restroom, and as I opened the door, there was a man with a machine gun outside my door. And what do you say to a man with a machine gun except, hello? And he said, hello? And so I moved on, and I got to the bathroom, and I found another man with a machine gun. And I thought, this is not a coincidence. There must be a lot of these guys. So I said, hello. He said, hello. <sighs> went there, went back to my room. I did not sleep. Because I'm thinking, there are people with machine guns, and I don't know who they are. Now, the next morning we found out there was a government official, and there were 24 armed soldiers on our train. That made me nervous. Here's why. Because that person could have been attacked. That attack was so likely that they had 12 guards with machine guns. Now, the other thing was pretty cool. I was pretty protected that night. I mean, yeah, it's Indian Army, but nonetheless, they had machine guns, right? Here's the thing we got to realize about God. If you're a born-again, spirit-filled believer, you're a threat to the darkness and you will be under attack. Do not let that scare you. Because unlike the God of Kushner, your God is a mighty God. Your God is a powerful God. He is a God who's gone to prepare a place for you. This inheritance, this is John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. And this God... He's overcome the threats. I just read to you John 14. I, I, just real quick. John 14 through 18. These are the words that Jesus spoke after they had received the Lord's Supper. These are, these are the last words of Jesus before he's about to be arrested and killed for our sin. And he is saying these truths to him in John 14 through 18. He's talking about the coming Holy Spirit. He's talking about, but he also lays down this promise, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Here's a promise, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Our God is not some sissy God someone wrote a book about that would make us feel comfortable. Our God is a mighty God that will always make us feel uncomfortable, but loved and saved and safe and blessed. Now some of you do not know this God, and you need to repent and believe the gospel and you need to be saved. Some of you do know this God, but are you living in these promises? Are you living out what the Holy Spirit of God has given in God's grace?
I would challenge you. I challenge you to receive and to live out this life. Let's stand together as we pray. Care leaders, come forward if you will. Father, I thank you for your word and I pray for these who are here today and I pray for any who have not yet been saved that they will come and talk to one of these leaders at the front or make their way out to Guest Connect today and, and talk to someone who can help them know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior. And I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ today, some of who are not living in this life, they are living deceived and I pray, God, that they'll repent, they'll get on their knees and they'll cry out for help. They'll come talk to one of these at the front or talk to someone in the hallway and, and receive encouragement in, according to your word. We thank you for your word that's given to us by you, Holy Spirit. And now as we praise your holy name in gratitude, we praise you and ask for help. In Christ's name, amen. Come and pray as you need. Let's sing together.